Well, good morning. Glad that you're here with us today, and uh, those of us joining on those of you joining us online, uh, we are in the middle of a series um, called Believe, and uh, the book that we are using for this series um, is called Believe, and um, we have made the copies of this book available to everyone for free because we really want to get this into your hands. So if you have not yet picked up your free copy, please make sure that you do. We're also encouraging people to. Um, Get into a community group and be a part of the discussion and find we'll talk about this a little bit more um, in today's message. But the idea is to learn and grow and study God's word together. And the first section of the Believe series was all about what do we believe? What are the essentials? What are the core principles or understandings uh, or tenets, if you will, of, of scripture when it comes to our faith as followers of Christ? The second section, which is what we're in now, is really about the how. And it's about um, certain habits and, and um, actions and behaviors and activities that we can engage in that will help us grow in our faith. And it's all centered around this idea that is one of our core values around here at Northgate about lifestyle of worship. That worship is not just what we do on Sunday morning, it's how we live our lives. And so how do we live out our faith? And last week we talked about prayer. And prayer is a very important part of it because in, in prayer we are communicating, we are conversing with God. And we talked about the idea of how to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Today we're going to be talking about scripture. And, and that's really, if we're going to pray how your kingdom come, your will be done, then we need to know what does that kingdom look like. And in scripture, that's really what we get is a picture of what the kingdom of God looks like, what his will being done looks like. And so it's important that you are engaged in scripture, that you read your Bible, that you study your Bible. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. The problem is that most Americans are not readers. Uh, A recent poll that I read that uh, only 28% of the adult population in America has read at least one book in the last 12 months. So, I mean, think about it yourself. How often do you read a book? How often do you go to a movie? You know, the movie's much more entertaining, you know. Now, some of us are readers. I'm a reader. I'm, I'm a voracious reader. I'm usually reading at least two or three books at the same time, which can sometimes get a little bit confusing. But I just, I love to read. Um, but m- many of you probably not so much, and more so maybe even when it comes to reading the Bible, because the feeling is like, well, I don't even understand it. Um, and so today, that's what we're going to be talking about, because this is really important. If we are going to be followers of Jesus Christ, if we're going to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, then we need to know what that kingdom looks like. And because we're not much in the way of Bible reading and studying, um, there's a great deal of biblical illiteracy, even in Christian churches. Um, A couple of polls, this from a few years ago now, um, that fewer than half of the adults can name four gospels, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, by the way, in case you couldn't do that, now you can. Um, There's another one. Many Christians cannot identify more than two or three of the 12 disciples. 60% of Americans can't name five of the Ten Commandments. And according to 82% of Americans, God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse. (laughs) Which it is not, by the way. I love this one. 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. (laughs) And a considerable number of respondents in one poll believed that the Sermon on the Mount was actually preached by Billy Graham. Yeah, so a great deal of biblical illiteracy. 
And, and, and sometimes people say, well, why is it important? I mean, I, it's hard to read. It's hard to understand. Um, and I'm not sure. And, and how can a book that's like, you know, thousands of years old really have any relevance to our lives? Well, I believe it's incredibly relevant to our lives. And, and one of the key things around here at Northgate is we have, we have made it a point that when we teach, we teach from the Bible, we teach from scripture. And when we teach, we teach with application in mind that it's not just here's the information, but here's the information and here's what you can do with it. Here's how to put it to work in your life. And that's been a key principle of ours from day one. And and Paul writes about this to actually a young pastor named Timothy in his own understanding of God's word. This is what he wrote. It's actually in Paul's second letter to Timothy, um, which in your Bible is 2 Timothy. Imagine that. Um, And this is what he wrote beginning in chapter 3, verse 14. He said, you must remain faithful to the things that you've been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Now, what Paul is simply saying there is there's at least four really good reasons why you should be reading and studying the Bible. And, and what we're going to do today is I want to kind of unpack each and every one of those and, and tell you what that means and, and how that applies to our life. He says there's at least four really good reasons that it teaches us what is true, that, that it, 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 it helps us to see what is wrong in our lives, it corrects us to get back on track, and then it teaches us how to keep living that life, to continue on in that new way. That, that in essence, the Bible is kind of an instruction. It's, it's kind of like, sometimes people will say, well, it's like, it's like the owner's manual for your car. And it really isn't. Because think about the last time that you looked at the owner's manual for your car. Not very often. In fact, I can tell you, I look at the owner's, owner's manual of my car twice a year at time change. Because I can never remember, how do I change the clock on this thing? And it's the only two times in the whole year that I pull that thing out of the glove box. But I'm glad it's there. Because otherwise, I'd be off by an hour for at least six months out of the year. Um, so today, we're going to take a look at the, what the Bible is, why it's important, and what it can do for your life. And I want to start with this idea. First of all, that it provides a reference point for your life. It gives you a reference point. It's like when you go to the mall and you're looking for a store. Does anybody go to the mall anymore? Well, if you do, particularly if you go to a mall that you don't know, um, you go to the directory. And on the directory, there's this picture of the map of the, of the mall. And on there, there's a little red X and it says, you are here. And what the Bible does is it helps us understand you are here. This is where you fit in the grand scheme of things. That Every one of us in this room, we operate out of, out of a certain set of assumptions and suppositions. You might call it your mental map. And your mental map is the way that you view life. It's how you, it's how you view um, um, the way things ought to be or the way things are. It's the, it's the means by which you decide what is right from wrong. Or, or that mental map is the thing that provides that sense of what is wise and what is foolish. It's that mental map that helps us answer or at least address the big questions of life like, who am I and and where did I come from and and what's this life all about? 
And we all have that. And subconsciously, that's what we operate pretty much on from day to day. And we do that subconsciously, and it all works out fine until we come up against a crisis or until we come up against a situation that is beyond our understanding or something that's so overwhelming. And all of a sudden, we realize that the assumptions that we have been running on for a good part of our life don't answer those questions for us. And so we need that larger perspective, that that bird's eye view, if you will. And that's what the Bible provides us. It's the larger context. It says all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. In other words, it gives us that mental map that this is the way things are. And this is the way things ought to be. It says it is inspired by God. Now, what that means and what we believe is that, that God, by his Holy Spirit, inspired these writers who were human beings who wrote down as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit from their own perspective and from their experience what God was saying. And, and that's what it means. It wasn't dictated word for word, but that God spoke inspirationally through these writers. And that's what we have. By the way, when we talk about the Bible, we talk about it like it's one book, but it really isn't. It's more like a library. It is a collection of 66 books. It was written in three different languages by over 40 authors over a period of time around 1,500 to 1,600 years. And what's amazing about all of that, and most of these people did not know anybody else that took part in all this writing, but what's amazing in all of that is it is so consistently all the way through telling this one great story. And this is, if you get nothing else, this is what the story of the Bible is. It is God's redemptive work in human history. From creation to revelation, that's what the Bible is. It is not primarily a list of commands to obey. It is not primarily a a list of of tenets of, of belief that you're supposed to ascribe to. It is primarily a story. It is the ongoing story of God's redemptive work in this world. And when I read it from that perspective, I begin to see where I fit in that big God story. And and there's different parts of of the Bible and different books of the Bible that are, are written differently. A lot of it is narrative, the telling of the story. First through Adam and Eve, and then through um, um, Noah, and then through Moses and Abraham and the nation of Israel, and then through Jesus Christ, and then on going through the church, and then where we fit in that story, that this is God's unfolding story. And so the narrative, it reads like a story, but there are parts of it that are poetry, and you don't read poetry the same way that you read a story. And parts of it are what's called wisdom literature, and they're just like the book of Proverbs, it's just short two-line sentences or or, or two-line paragraphs that just teach about wise living under God's economy and in God's kingdom. And so you read the Proverbs differently than you read read poetry, which would be different than you would read um, a narrative. Some of it is prophetic and it's very highly symbolic and you wouldn't read that literally because it's, it's, it's symbolic. And you get to the letters in the New Testament, and they're pretty straightforward, and you could read those pretty literally. But each section of the Bible is going to give you different perspectives and written in different ways. So you need to learn how to read it and to read it in the genre that it is. And it becomes an important part of your life. It gives you that overall picture. And what it does is it gives you the broader context of your life inside God's big story. 
And it begins to change and reshape the way that you look at your life and how you think about things. And it's what Paul wrote about to the church in Rome when he wrote these words, not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Just learn how to think differently. It's kind of like um, for us on, on our family, as our kids were growing up, we did this every Christmas time, Christmas season. It was kind of became a tradition. We would get like a, a, one of these big, you know, 1500 piece jigsaw puzzles, you know, and, and we'd lay out on the table and everybody, you'd come by and you'd work on it for, and everybody would take part, you know, in putting this picture together. One of the things that we have found over the years is when it comes to those big 1500 piece jigsaw puzzles, is it's really helpful if you have the cover picture on the box. Because <laughs> if you don't have that, a lot of it just doesn't make sense and you don't see how the pieces relate to each other. The Bible is kind of like that big picture on the cover of the box. And from there, you begin to see how the pieces begin to fit. And so it helps us to understand what is true and what is right. Not only does it provide us that reference point, but it also helps us recognize our flaws and our mistakes and our shortcomings because we're all really good at self-deception. We are really good at, at explaining away or justifying or, 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 or minimizing our own flaws. It's much easier to see the flaws in the people around you. Isn't that true? I mean, think, show of hands. How many here can think of at least one person in your life that is seriously flawed? How many have that person sitting next to you right now? No, nothing. It is much easier to see the flaws in other people than to see it in ourselves. Which is why we need outside perspective, which does not mean go and tell that person, by the way, all of their flaws this afternoon. We need a bigger perspective. And that's what scripture provides us. It helps us understand things. It says all scripture is inspired by God and is useful also to make us realize what is wrong with our lives. Because we will go and operate on that mental map, on those assumptions and presuppositions, and we'll go along not realizing the flaws in our own life. And we need to be able to see those things. James writes about it in, in, in the book of James, um, in your Bible, that, that it's like looking in a mirror. That, that you, you wouldn't walk out of the house without checking the mirror before you go. You know, and, and in the mirror is where you make all those adjustments and you figure out, you know, that the comb... Hair, the hair needs combing and, and the makeup needs adjusting or whatever it might be. And is it, that's what the Bible provides. It helps us to see those flaws that we wouldn't otherwise see in our lives. It helps us take a good, honest look at ourselves because it gives us a picture of the human condition. And the human condition is something that every one of us are a part of. And we need to understand that. To Timothy, in his first letter, Timothy, this is what uh, Paul wrote. But here's, a, here's a trustworthy saying. He said it's, it's, it's good for wide acceptance. Everybody ought to be able to say this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Now, that's the Apostle Paul who wrote the bulk of our New Testament inspired by God. He says that's the frame of mind that you need to come to Scripture with. That I've got flaws. And he said looking at the flaws in other people... I'm the worst. And then that, that requires humility. That requires honesty. Um, stories told a number of years ago, the London Times ran a series of, uh, a column of series, asking a question, 
what's wrong with this world? And different people, you know, responded to it. G.K. Chesterton, um, a theologian of his time, and he wrote, he said, Dear sirs, what is wrong with this world? I am. That was it. (laughs) It takes that kind of humility and honesty and openness to be able to recognize those things in ourselves. The word of God is penetrating. Look at this. It said, the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. But only if we'll let it. If only we'll be open before that. I, um, I've had this cold or whatever it is hanging on for probably the last three months and, and it just, you know, and I just, it just doesn't get better. And I start feeling better for a while. And then the cough comes back and then the headaches come back. And this, I, you know, all this stuff going on. In fact, um, last weekend, um, last week, our, our staff went down to a, a conference down in Southern California. And about half of us went down sick and everyone else came home sick. And so like Tuesday morning in our staff meeting, I mean, it sounded like an infirmary. You know, people are coughing and hacking and sneezing. And I've, been, and I've had this ongoing thing. And then um, Vanessa, she, uh, she finally called the advice nurse and found out what was wrong. And so they got her on some medication. And then um, Tuesday, um, Jesse decided he was had enough. He went into the doctor. He came back. We got on some medication. He came back and feeling better and, and fun. And my wife has been telling me like all along for the last three months, you ought to go see the doctor. You know, you really ought to go see the doctor. There might be something really, really wrong. You ought to go see the doctor. And I go, no, I'm, I'm, you know, because I'm a man. Um, <laughs> but finally, when everybody else is going to the doctor, and by this point, I'm just like miserable. I have, I, I'm coughing and I've got this, you know, congestion in my chest and I've got this sinus headache thing going on. And I'm just like, I am miserable. Finally, I went to the doctor. And, you know, the doctor said, yeah, well, you, you know, you got a touch of bronchitis, you got a little sinus infection going on, and you need to take, you know, these antibiotics, you need to take this cough syrup, you know, and all these different things, you know, and he gave me all these prescriptions. Now, if I, and I started taking it, and by today, I'm feeling halfway decent again. I needed somebody to actually tell me this is what's wrong, and here's what you can do to get better, and here's the thing. When you come to God's word and when you read his instructions or you read a command or, or you read a story that points out something in your life and you disagree with it, when, when I come to a point where I see something in scripture that contradicts with the way I'm doing my life, I have to be willing to admit I'm the one who's wrong, <laughs> not God, me. And that's what scripture does. But not only helps us to see what is wrong, it also shows us how to get back on track. And that's an important thing. It's not enough to get the diagnosis, say, this is what's wrong with you. I need someone to tell me, how do I get better? And scripture provides that. That's what the Bible does. It shows, how do we get back on track? All too often, all too often, I think in Christian circles, particularly, the Bible is often used to beat people up. And that's not the intent of scripture. That is not the intent. The Bible is the unfolding story of God's redemptive work in this world. So the Bible ought to always be used redemptively. And too often we use it to beat each other up. And you ought to be very wary about using the Bible to prove your point. Because if that's the way you're using it, that's wrong. The Bible is the story of God's redemptive work, and it should always be read and understood and used in a redemptive way. 
Because that's what the story is all about. It's not just to point out what's wrong. It's to get us back on track. He goes on. He says that is useful. It is. Wait for it. Wait for it. There it is. It corrects us when we're wrong. He doesn't just point out and say, here's what's wrong with you. It says, here's how to correct it. Here's some changes that you can make. Correction is all about making things right. Mike Ayer in his book, um, Why the Bible Matters, said, when the words of Scripture get inside us, they deal with our true souls and form a life that is congruent with the world that God created, the salvation He has enacted, and the community He has gathered. When it gets inside of us, and it begins to take its effect on our life, it changes our perspective on things. It gets us back on track, and it keeps us moving forward. We need to get back to where we're supposed to be. Proverbs 6.23. These commands are like a lamp. This teaching is like a light. And the correction that comes from it will help you have life. And that's the point. I told you last week, I have this ongoing love-hate relationship with the navigation system on our Jeep. Because it keeps telling me the ways to go. That, and sometimes it tells me ways that I don't want to go. And I think I know better. And sometimes I do. <laughs> but often I get off track. Because I, I keep insisting, no, I know a better way. And I think I know a better way. And then I don't realize that one of the things in the navigation system is it, it gets traffic alerts. And so if you're on the freeway and it says it's better to take off this exit. And I say, no, no, the real exit I want is two exits down. It's already seen ahead. There's an accident and there's a traffic jam. In another half mile, you're going to be stuck sitting there. And I say, no, but that's not the right exit. So I stay on the freeway and then I get stuck in the traffic jam. The thing about the navigation system is when I get off track, this little voice that comes on and it says, recalculating, which is a really polite way of saying, you've blown it again. And scripture has a way of doing that. When we get off track and come to God's word, it's just like recalculating. Here's how to get back on track. And that requires that we have an understanding of scripture. That, it, that it's not just something that... Listen, 20 to 25 minutes of teaching one day a week is not enough. No matter how great the preaching is around here. It will not be enough. It will not. It needs to be an ongoing part of your life. Because it gives you that reference point. And it helps you to see when you're off track and when you're wrong. And, and it helps you get back on track. And then the last thing is it teaches you how to keep moving forward once you get back on track. And that's the idea. That getting back on track and then keeping moving forward. He goes on. He says, it corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And the key word there is do. That you put it into practice. Like I said, we have made it a point around here from the very beginning that we would teach life application. We'd help people see how this works in your life. But you will never discover how it works in your life until you actually put it to work in your life. And then what happens, then what happens is all of a sudden you sit back and you go, oh, God really does know what he's talking about. 
Oh, that really is the best way to do things. Oh, that's where I made my mistake. Because it's this ongoing story of redemptive. And as it works redemptively in, in your life, you begin to understand the way God says life was designed to be lived is really the best way to live life. I mean, think about it. Think about this. What if everyone in the world began to just practice one thing from Scripture? Treat others the way you would want to be treated. Love one another. I mean, just, just, just like if everybody in the world just practiced that one biblical truth, how it would change the world. You put it into your life. You put it to work into your life. Because when you do, what you begin to do is you restructure and you reorient your life around God's way and everything changes. Now, I'm going to give you some very practical ways. If, you, if this is all brand new to you and you don't know where to get started, or maybe you've done this in the past, but you've kind of gotten off track, I'm just going to give you some really, really practical application here. First is, find a translation that's easy to read. <laughs> Because some people just kind of get stuck on this thing. If it doesn't have these and thous, then it's not really a Bible. We have so many great translations and, and modern language translations that are easy to read and easier to understand. Why burden yourself in, in archaic English language that you don't even understand? And, and you don't even have to buy a Bible today. There is a, very, is a free app available for your phone or your tablet. It's called YouVersion. That's what it looks like if you're looking on the app store, okay? And, and, and what it has on it, there are probably 20-something different English translations available to you. And, and I, I tend to use the New International Version. That's the one that I'm comfortable with. That's the one that works well for me. But there's, there's some that are even better than that that might be better for you. The New Living Translation. There are paraphrases. Uh, the Message. The Living Bible. There are all kinds of different ways. Find one that's easily understandable. That's the best place to start. Even if it doesn't have these and thous, it's still the Word of God. So find one that's easy to read. And then, and then start where it's understandable. A lot of times people say, well, I'm going to read the Bible. So I start in Genesis. And Genesis is pretty cool because I, I can follow the story. Genesis goes to Exodus. And yeah, I can still kind of follow the story. And then it gets to Leviticus. And that gets a little weird. And that gets a little hard. And then Deuteronomy. And that gets harder still. And then you get to Numbers and everybody quits. Because it's all these begats and begots and who's and all these names that nobody knows and nobody cares about and the numbers and I just like what in the point? What's the whole point of that? So don't start there. Start I, the best place to start in one of the gospels, the story of Jesus and his ministry. And if you don't know which one and you're like just really starting on this, I'll give you a hint. Mark is the shortest one. <laughs> It'll give you a sense of accomplishment. Okay, but but start with the Gospel of Mark. And just read the ministry of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. That's a really good place to start. It'll be pretty much understandable. And if you get the points you don't understand, just say, okay, well, I'm not ready for that yet. I'll just keep reading until I do. And then maybe, maybe if you finish one of the Gospels, read another one of the Gospels. 
Maybe the Gospel of John. Then maybe, maybe, maybe some of the New Testament writings of Paul because they're, they're pretty self-explanatory and understandable and principles and, and, and instructions there are pretty easy to manage. And so, you, you know, start with what you can understand. Do not start in Genesis. Do not start in Numbers. And do not start in Revelation. Because <laughs> that'll just like blow your mind and, and, and it's largely symbolic. And, and this is where... This is the biggest, my biggest beef. People get into Revelation and they want to figure out all the symbolisms. And in Revelation, there's actually some very clear instructions. But we would much, better, we would much rather um, get all intrigued about the symbolisms and ignore the real understanding. Like, this is what you ought to do. So don't start there. Start in one of the Gospels. Mark might be a good one. Then maybe into, into one of the letters of Paul. And then maybe go back into the Old Testament and, and you begin to see some of the things from Jesus' teaching that, oh, that's what he was talking about. But start somewhere and start with the version that you can understand. And then as you approach it, as you approach it, approach it with prayer. You say, God, this is your word. In the same way that your Holy Spirit inspired the writers of it centuries ago, your Holy Spirit now within me, help me understand it for my own life. And a couple of questions you might ask yourself. And here's some things you can write down. First of all, just ask yourself the question, what does this say? What is this all about? Is it, is it narrative? Is it poetry? Is it wisdom literature? What, what kind of, you know, what does it say? And then what does it mean? What does it mean to me? How does it hit my life? A couple other questions you might ask yourself. Are there any principles here for me to learn to live by? Is there any instruction that I just need to put into my life? Are there any commands here that I need to obey? And just asking yourself those questions will get you started in Bible study. That U version, by the way, not only does it have different versions of the Bible available for you on your smartphone or your tablet, it also has in there different reading plans. So you can read the Bible, uh, read the New Testament through in a year, and it'll have a reading plan there. If you want to read about the, uh, the ministry and the life of Jesus, um, there'll be, you, can, you can do it by topic, you can do it by whatever you, but start somewhere and start reading. And then do it with prayer and do it asking those questions. Because ultimately, ultimately, this is going to be the reference point of your life. This is going to change the way that you start looking through your own mental map at this world and at your life in this world. It's going to help you see the flaws that need correction. It's going to help you to find the correction to do it. And it's going to help you keep staying on track. The most important thing in all of it is put it into practice. Book of James, again, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Would you bow your heads with me? So the message of the Bible is God's redemptive story. And maybe you're here today and you've never entered into that redemptive story. That you know you've got those flaws, you know you've got those sins, you don't know what to do with them, you know you need forgiveness, but you're not sure how to go about that. You can be a part of God's redemptive story. And he can do his redemptive work in your life. And if you're here today and you've never taken even a first step of faith, you can do that this morning. And it's just simply the willingness to recognize my flaws, my mistakes, my sin, and admit it to God. And then recognizing that Christ came and died on a cross so I could be forgiven. 
that he rose from the grave so you could have that new life. And it's just simply transferring your trust off of your abilities and your insights and your way of doing things and receiving his forgiveness and letting him take rule over your life. And if you've never done that before, today I want to give you a chance to take a first step of faith. Because what we say around here is there is nothing so lost in your life, nothing so broken, nothing so dead in your life that God cannot find, that God cannot mend, and that God cannot resurrect. And today, you can be a part of that resurrected, redemptive life. And if for you today, it means that first step of faith, I'm going to ask you to do something real simple. Just raise your hand, and as you do, look up and catch my eye, because I'm going to lead you in a, in a closing prayer that you can take that first step of faith. Is there anybody? All right. Yeah. So I'm going to invite you to just make this your prayer. Lord, here I am. You know my flaws better than I do. You know my sin. You know my failures. You know my weaknesses. I can't fix it. I can't undo it. I need your grace. So today I'm admitting I got off track. And I need you to forgive me. I need to get my life back on track with you. So today I'm asking not just for your forgiveness. I am putting my life my trust in you. Lead me in your ways as I follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me?